Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express. More specifically, welcome to our little show within a show here that we like to call Fortress of Ineptitude, where we discuss the forgotten and maligned comic book movies of decades past. As always, I am your host, post writer, editor in chief, Mike Levito, and I am joined also, as always, by post writer contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey, Mike, glad to be here. And I am glad to have you here. Now, I said that we talk about forgotten and maligned comic book movies on this show. And the movie we're talking about today, I think, is really doesn't fall in the maligned camp. I think it is really just forgotten. Um, yeah, I agree with you. This is the point where I'll say that Mike Levito came up with the name Fortress of Ineptitude, <laughs> um, which doesn't really define the movie we're talking about today. Yes, no, it doesn't really apply. It, it is refreshing to watch a good movie. Um, and the movie we decided to watch was uh, Road to Perdition, which if I if I had to guess, I would say most people who've seen this movie probably don't realize it's based on a comic book. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's very it's very sneaky, very under the radar. Yes. And uh, Lewis, so this was your um, your idea to to watch Road to Perdition, your choice, and uh, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about why? Um, well, it's our tenth episode, you know, big huge milestone celebration. How many podcasts can you name that have gotten to ten <laughs> episodes? And uh, so I figured, hey, why don't we why don't we do something a little bit special, a bit different? We've had a rough go of it the past few episodes, um, following up Howard the Duck with the Lost Fantastic Four movie with Steel. And um, I, we're sort of trending upward, so I figured, why not we just take a big leap up in terms of quality and do a, a really, really good movie, Road to Perdition, which I, I watched before, like, ten years ago. And there I know, like, this, and there's another, another movie um, stood out as, like, two really good movies that also happen to be based on comic books. And I'm like, oh, this sort of fits in with the criteria, so why don't we talk about Road to Perdition? Yeah, um, I had uh, I I had never I had never seen this movie, um, so had I, you heard of it? Oh yeah, I definitely heard of it. Um, I I know it's a movie that uh, my my mother likes. Um, I don't know if that's because there's a character named Finn McGovern and her last name is McGovern. Um, like considering the fate he meets, probably not why she likes it. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I definitely heard of it. And I, I, I kind of knew the gist, but, like, I outside of just, like, knowing the basic kind of, like, conceit that it was about, like, a hitman and his son, I actually didn't know anything else about it. So, full of surprises, um, including some some uh, some members of the cast. I um, feel like I only heard about it in relation to people talking about Paul Newman. Because mm. this was sort of, like, one of his last hurrahs in terms of terms of live action acting yeah. obviously he's in the cars movies which are you know stone cold classics obviously yes um but th this was that's that's usually how i heard about it, is that it's like paul newman's one of his you know last movies one of the the big final movies he's in yeah i i was wondering if if that was the case if it was his last one because like it's got to be because he died in 2008 2000... yeah something around there um and yeah, this was also, he was, he was actually nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Um, and of course, his last Oscar nomination. Um, the movie actually was nominated for a couple Oscars. It won one. Do you know, well, you probably have read already which one it, it won. 
Um, I do. Yeah, best cinematography. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you. No, yeah, one best cinematography, which I think is well deserved. We'll talk about it a bit later. Um, Nominated for a couple others, I think both of the sound awards, uh, score, which I actually again we'll talk about that later. I don't know if I would agree with that, and then art direction as well. Um, And it's funny because I feel like this was like. There's something about this movie that um, it almost, this is like a very kind of like lazy analysis in a way, but like, I feel like they don't really make movies like this anymore. <laughs> um, no, they really don't. And I was thinking earlier about how it it's kind of even different than like films that were made like during the same time. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like a film that was like from the era, like five years before. Mm-hmm in a way, if that makes sense. And I think, like, part of that is, like, the cinematography and the lighting. Um, It feels very, like, white and natural Mm -hmm. that you get in a lot of, like, 90s Hollywood movies when it's, like, after this time period post-2000, usually, like, post-Soderbergh's traffic. You get a lot of play with, like, color temperature and, like, playing with, like, how the uh, color of the screen, like, whether it's orange or blue or green... You get that sort of color tinting, and this film really doesn't have any of that, so it makes it feel very, very kind of like old-fashioned, even for its uh, time period, which is 2003, which is obviously a long time ago. So it feels just a little bit older than it is. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like I felt even like, um, well, I, I do wonder if that's kind of why, because a big a thing we were talking about beforehand is that. Tom Hanks kind of mentioned this in an interview, right? That he feels like this movie is forgotten. Yeah, so Tom Hanks, uh, when he was doing press for a man uh, called Otto, he was saying that he wasn't, he was confused by it, why no one ever asks him about this movie. Um, the quote he said was, for one reason or another, no one references Road to Perdition, and that was an incredibly important movie for me to go through. Uh, it was shot by Conrad Hall, and you have me in it. Uh, but you also have two guys who turned out to be the biggest motion picture presences in the history of the industry with Jude Law and Daniel Craig, and I killed both of them. <laughs> um, and he says that he it could be a movie that, you know, people sort of discover, you know, later on uh, in his, you know, career, in his lifetime. And, uh, you know, it's like people always ask me, like, what movies will be they be talking about years from now? And Tom Hanks said, as a guy who watches TCM, a lot of the more obscure and unknown movies are, like, the better I usually find them because I have no preconceived notions about that. And um, he just thinks, you know, Road to Perdition is a movie that will last forever and that people, it could, you know, possibly be revisited by a large swath of people, you know, years down the line, which I, you know, I think really should. It's really, it is kind of crazy, you know, Tom Hanks, you know, one of the biggest stars ever, one of the last real movie stars, in a way, if you're, you know, one of those people who's obsessed with star studies and the history of the Hollywood movie star, he's like one of the last big ones, like him and Tom Cruise. And it's like, this was like right after Saving Private Ryan. Um, I guess, it, you know, God, catch me if you can. You know, he's done a lot of big movies since. And this sort of falls right in the middle. And it's sort of like a departure for Tom Hanks. Wouldn't you agree, Mike? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and I think this movie's the most interesting part of this movie, and I'd say it's greatest strength, is the way it's, I think, not just a departure for Tom Hanks, but, like, a departure for a couple other members of the cast as well. 
Like, I would say this is a departure for Jude Law, the kind of character he plays, at least. Um, but well, yeah, yeah and it's, we'll go on. No, yeah, yeah, Jude Law. And it's kind of a departure for Daniel Craig, but also, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of in the reverse, because this is kind of like Daniel Craig b- before Bond. Um, so, like, people really didn't know, like, what to expect from him. Or, you know, if he would be, like, as big a star as he is today. Yeah, he was he was just the murderous priest from Elizabeth. Um yeah, I uh, but no, it is a departure because you know I when you think of Tom Hanks, right? You think of I always think of like warmth, right? Like he's kind of like you know the dad you wish you had, right? I I like I think of like the quintessential Tom Hanks role as um, I actually don't remember the astronaut's name, but his role in Apollo thirteen, right? Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell, yes, thank you, where he's you know very determined to like kind of get things right on the mission. You know, he's very kind of encouraging of his his crew members and assists them straight when he has to. But ultimately, there's this kind of, like, pride and warmth and, and sort of, like, virtue there, I guess. Whereas in this movie, he's he's not warm at all. <laughs> he's this kind of distant um, and... Very cold. Yeah, very cold figure. The opposite of warm. That's correct. And, he, you know, it's like in any other movie, he'd probably be a bad guy. Right, yeah. Yeah, he would be. And it's funny, because I actually remember... Um, when I, I remember uh, when, and I saw this movie with you, when I saw Cloud Atlas, I was talking with my mom a few days later and I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, Tom Hanks plays like a villain, like a bad guy in it, which he plays multiple characters, not all of them bad in, in Cloud Atlas, but I was thinking of like the like British character he plays. Um, and my mom's like, well, he does it in Road to Perdition too. And I guess she's technically right, but he's also, you know, one of the protagonists of this movie. So it's a very like... yeah. There's a gradual softening to the, yeah. the character as the movie goes on. Yeah, and apparently the, the in the like original comic book, which I, I've never read it. Have you? I have not, but I have a little bit to say about it. Okay. Do you want to but, say it now? No, but do you want to finish your thought first? I was gonna say apparently, like he. So you know he plays a hitman in this movie, right? He um, is a uh, hitman for like some slice of the Chicago mob. Um, an, an Irish slice of a Chicago mob, um, which I thought they were in Boston partly because of Daniel Craig's very bad accent, but we'll get to that later. Um, but uh, yeah, and apparently in, in the original comic book, um, this, the character of Michael Sullivan, Michael O'Sullivan in the comic book, like he's described as like the angel of death. And there's kind of this more like kind of like pulpy imposing um uh, he's just this more like pulpy and imposing figure, but in the movie he's, I think, portrayed more as kind of like a regular person who found himself with this job and is trying to basically balance, you know, the things he has done with his desire to, uh, you know, protect his family in a way. It's funny, actually, it reminds me of a now very popular show, Barry, a little bit. But if, like, uh, Barry wasn't constantly deluding himself into believing he was a good person, but had made peace with the fact that he probably was not a good person. Yeah, this is, I would say you're you're right. This is definitely, like, early Barry, I would say. I, I think Road to Perdition is ultimately, like, a more sanitized Hollywood version. Well, yeah, yeah. Barry is, like... At this point, it's, like, so dark. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't get much bleaker, I would say. 
Um, I, I would say it's actually funny how it's like it's Succession and Barry on the same night, and it's like I think of Succession more as a comedy now, and Barry is <laughs> like a drama. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, speaking of, you think that it's like more hard boiled and pulpy? I actually wanted to talk about the um, the graphic novel and like specifically the writer Max Allen Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this this was a graphic novel called Road to Perdition, public published by Paradox Press uh, as like an imprint of DC, like way back in the day, sometime in the late nineties. Um, they didn't last very long that imprint, um, but they published some really great material. Um, another of which was adapted into another feature film um, that is really quite good that we'll probably cover at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, Max Allen Collins is a writer I've sort of been aware on aware of on like the fringes for like a long time because um, he's most known for taking over the Dick Tracy comic strip mm-hmm. after uh, Chester Gould retired in the late 70s and he sort of retained that like hard-boiled detective flair. But he's also like a he's been a writer forever. He's he writes like hard-boiled detective novels, that sort of thing. He's known for like his Quarry series, which is about a hitman like Michael Sullivan in the movie here. Um, he has another line of detective novels, which are like basically like historical fiction. And he's just written like so many things. Um, and it's like he's had this career where he like jumps between writing like these novels and he writes comic books. Uh, usually for DC, he had. Uh, the long-running mystery series, Miss Tree, which was basically like, what if Mike Hammer was a woman? And um, he wrote a long series uh, with her. And he wrote another series called Wild Dog, which was like a really hard-edged, realistic look about like vigilantism, um, uh, which was interesting at the time. And uh, so it's just an interesting writer. And um, uh I, I recommend checking his work out. If you know, if you like this movie, I'd recommend checking out anything else uh, Max Allen Collins has written. And that's uh, that's basically all I had to say about the uh, graphic novel. I've seen. I, I don't think it's easy to get a copy of the graphic novel because I've looked and uh, I've seen it on. I've seen on shelves. They usually have like the sequels mm-hmm. or spinoffs. Like there's Return to Perdition. I think there's like something like maybe Road to Perdition Two is another one. Yeah, there's like Road to Purgatory is another one. I've seen those, but it's like I can't, you can't really get your hands on like the original. I don't think at this point it's like currently out of print, um, which is fine because apparently like there, there, there are differences between them. Yeah. Um, and I, haven't, I haven't read it, so I, I can't really speak to that. Yeah, nor can I. Apparently also, um, I know a very heavy influence, and I know this just because I have read it on <laughs> Wikipedia is like... Uh, was the manga series Lone Wolf and Cub, um, which I also have no experience with, but apparently it is like, it, like Max Allen Collins has described it as an homage to that uh, series as well. So it's uh, an extremely influential um, manga, and American comic book creators like Frank Miller has cited that as an influence. Like a lot of people have been influenced by that. Um, but yeah, should we should we talk about Sam Mendes, Mike? Do you do you have you seen many of Sam Mendes's movies, the director? Yeah, we should. And I always I can never tell if it's pronounced Mendes or Mendez, so we'll just we'll just let it fly. But <laughs> he's not Latino. He's not. He is British. But I assume. But but he is like, he's from the it's UK. But but like his his last name is like Portuguese. 
it says his father is Trinidadian. But of Portuguese descent. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Mendes, Mendez. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Um, but have I seen many of his movies? Actually, looking at his filmography, I was surprised how many I had seen. Um, and the reason I've seen a good deal of them is because... Um, actually, you know what? I've seen a handful. I would say actually not very much. Let, let me recant that a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I've seen... Before this, actually, now that I do a look at it, I'd only seen three of his movies. Um, I had seen uh, Skyfall, which I actually really enjoyed. I really like Skyfall. Do, do, you, do you have Skyfall opinions, Lewis? Yeah, Skyfall is really good. I remember uh, I can talk about this since uh, Lars is technically a member of the Post Rider, <laughs> even though he's uh, in absentia. Um but I remember we watched, because uh, you had never seen them, we watched Casino Royale, mm-hmm. which Lars, like, absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's a great movie, especially a great Bond movie, too. Yeah. Um, and then, like, the next day, I decided to skip over Quantum of Solace and show him Skyfall. Mm-hmm. And uh, Skyfall's good. And Lars was like, yeah, it, it's good, I guess. But it's like, you know, I was, like, thinking, it's like, oh, I should have shown him Quantum of Solace. Right. Because that way, <laughs> he would have appreciated more like what Skyfall is like and how it's like you need to view things in the full context sometimes it's like I, I really like Skyfall though like when I saw it in the theater and it got to like the ending scene um even though it's like a total just like sort of like James Bond fan service thing it was just like wow this is like really great I was like like almost like ready to cheer uh just because it was good but you know it's, it's fine as its own movie thing but I think it works more if you're a big uh James Bond fan yeah I uh, it's funny I, I kind of repeated your pattern because I then skipped over Spectre, which is the other Bond movie that Sam, Sam Mendes directed, and went straight to No Time to Die. So, uh-huh. um, which, from what I hear, is maybe the 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 way to go. Um, yeah, I mean, Spectre was all right. Um, there were things about it I liked, but uh, you know, I think Skyfall is a it, it's a uh, more it's like a lesser version of Skyfall. They tried to capture lightning in a bottle twice, yeah, and it didn't quite work. Uh, first movie I ever saw at the Uptown Theater in uh, in Washington D.C. was. Skyfall. Is that the one screen? Yeah, it's the one screen in. It's not open anymore. Yeah, I know it's not. I never saw anything there. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. It was a great movie theater in Washington D.C. It had a balcony. Um, it was the old one screen thing. They they had always like threatened to close it because it was I think it was like independently owned, and then AMC bought it. And it went through a couple owners. I, I saw a couple movies there. And they mostly showed, you know, like the big blockbuster stuff. Because that's how else you're going to sustain mm-hmm. that. But um, that was a very cool place. Um, and it was just like a perfect... It was a perfect environment with, in to watch that movie. But we're not talking about Skyfall this episode, are we? Um, uh, I've, and I've seen 1917 and I've seen American Beauty. 1917, I enjoyed. American Beauty, I actually don't really care for. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. How dare you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's not an uncommon opinion, especially post-Kevin Spacey revelations. Mm-hmm. Um, I like American Beauty. Maybe it's just because it's always... Because I read lots of screenwriting. Used to, you know, I read lots of books about screenwriting, and that's usually, like, one of the go-tos about, like, writing a script that you looked at uh, American Beauty. Interesting. Um, I like it. Um and yeah that's that's pretty much it i've i've watched all of those i watched the two james bonds 1917 
and American Beauty, and then Road to Perdition. So yeah. I, I I would say he's a pretty good director. Yeah, no, he's he's he makes competent at the very least. No, no, I, I do think he makes good stuff. I know I know Jarhead people like Jarhead. Um, the the I Jarhead read... sequels, maybe <laughs> <laughs> the franchise. Is 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 there one? Oh yeah, Jarhead two, Jarhead three, Jarhead four. Wow. Jar- Jarhead generations. Um, now now we're gonna have to do a whole podcast on the Jarhead movies. <laughs> we will. Um, and then I know Revolutionary Road was famously kind of like a disappointment. Um, as was Empire of Light. But anyway, um, but you know I think he's a good director. Um, I don't know that he. I would, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I don't, but I wouldn't say that he's, like, a very, like, recognizable director in the sense where it's, like, well, I can't really think of, like, oh, this is, like, a total Sean Mendes sort of, like, style or theme, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what a Sean Mendes style. Yeah, I, Sean Mendes is a singer who I know, like, two songs of, and I'm gonna, I'm apologizing in advance to Sam Mendes. I will probably call him Sean Mendes many more times on this episode. I'm sorry. Um, I think... I, I see what you're saying, but, like, on a certain level, I think he's a bit chameleonic, like mm-hmm. a Steven Soderbergh, but he doesn't... I wouldn't say he changes his style drastically between movies. I think there's a certain visual similarities between American Beauty and Road to Perdition. And uh, Skyfall, there's lots of cool imagery. But, um, I don't know, I think his movies seem seem quite similar on a visual level, at least. Um, I'd have to probably think about it more to connect them thematically. Um, well, now that I think about it, too, I, I do think that the sort of, like, um, the, the quote-unquote, like, one-take nature of 1917, like, camera movement-wise, I think there is some interesting camera movement in Road to Perdition, so maybe that's kind of presaged in the, in this movie. Um, when I, when I'm thinking about it now, like when I think of the end of Road to Perdition, it's like the words like fairy tale kept yeah. appearing in my mind. And I, I feel like he has sort of like that quality to like make a story feel like a, like a fable mm-hmm. or a fairy tale where it's like, you know, I don't think anyone would accuse American Beauty of being like a, a grounded, realistic no. movie. I, that's usually where a lot of the complaints come in. But, you know, I think he has that nature of like turning a story about like a mundane sort of suburbia into like kind of a fairy tale i feel like it adventure is a bit too florid but you know that sort of quality is in american beauty yeah i i and i think because you mentioned it this kind of feeling like a movie from five years prior and i think that kind of plays into it this this fairy tale kind of feeling this for lack of like a better word like sentimental feeling almost um it, this actually like i um and maybe just because it's like the time period like i kind of thought about like the green mile a little bit watching this movie where it's this kind of um i don't know the word to use but this this kind of like uh almost kind of... almost nostalgic look at like a very morbid subject in a way yeah um, well i mean like those are both movies like the green mile Paul Edgecombe's looking back on, like, the whole movie, and this movie is sort of uh, the younger Michael Sullivan looking back. It sort of has that frame sequence just at the beginning and end. But, um, yeah, they're both kind of, like, a nostalgic look yeah. back at the past. 
And particularly with like the score at the beginning of this movie, it has it's, it's kind of like swelling in a way. And you know, it begins with these sort of uh, well, you know, it, it, I'm trying to think how, how it, well it begins with like um, you know uh, what's his name uh, the main character. What is the main Mike? Is his name's also Mike Michael. Sullivan? My, yeah, Michael Sullivan Jr. Um, you're kind of like riding his bike and we see him like doing his homework and, and, and all this. And there is something very kind of like, it's almost like just kind of like the more depressing version of a Christmas story. I feel like there exists a little bit, not that that's necessarily a cheerful movie. Um, and and then we, we, you know, we get this wake, um, for this, uh, this, this fellow, um, who, uh, you know, the, 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 um, circumstances of death are a little suspicious and we, but we get this, this kind of like this this irish dancing um this whole thing and then i uh i what i feel like this movie does very well is that you know i think it, it does a good job of being told from like a child's perspective right um where things are not always clear and, and there's kind of like it, it's kind of at once kind of tantalizing and and um scary at the same time and then when michael jr finally finds out what his father does for a living which is kill people and he finds it out because he sees his father do that i feel like you really begin this kind of like slow descent into hell that um and the entire tone of the movie turns on a dime and then it turns even further when um michael's mother and brother are killed because um it was it turns out that daniel craig's character who's the son of paul newman's character who's like the big boss in this town of rock island you know was worried about witnesses to this kind of like uh off the cuff killing he did of of this character frank finn mcgovern um frank mcgovern's my grandfather and uncle's name they they were not killed by mobsters um So I'm, I'm screwing up everybody's names in this episode. Um, but yeah, but just like that change, like to me, like the most interesting parts, I think, maybe not most interesting, the parts that I was kind of most compelled by were, was I think kind of like the section in between um, Michael Jr. seeing the shooting and then he and Michael Sr. kind of like going on the lamb. Right, yeah. I remember... Cause like I I I'd last watched this like ten years ago I mm-hmm. want to say, and um, I was surprised like revisiting it how how like sort of when I think when I thought on it before I rewatched it I thought it was like a much darker kind of movie and a lot of that stuff is just like in the first half and the second half is a great like leavening agent mm-hmm. of like just sort of making it kind of feel like a less dour sort of experience because the first half feels very dark especially like that that 15 minute sequence you're probably talking about like where he witnesses the murder and then yeah. uh his family sort of pays the price and then they have to leave it sort of it feels very dark and you know like uh-oh yeah i i was actually kind of shocked that was like um when uh when when daniel craig does sneak into their house and like you know kills the mother and brother i was like oh are they, they really gonna go here and they did they really went there um yeah but, but, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, like, but it's 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 really well made, right? Just just the way, um, and also in, 
you know, it's as subtle a kind of sequence about two people getting murdered as you can make it, right? Yeah, they um, don't they don't show anything. Yeah, and you just kind of get a uh, Michael Jr. You know, he you just kind of see him look into the bathroom where they were killed, and then Michael Senior comes back and he, he can tell something's wrong because Michael Jr. is kind of sitting on at the table. Um, it's and he a, goes up goes up to the bathroom and you just hear him go like no yeah no yeah um very, it's a perfect time to panic yeah yeah um anything else about kind of like that first like 15 to 20 minutes i liked the part um just because you were saying like the film is told from like michael jr's point of view mm-hmm. but i do like the part when it's like michael sullivan Mm-hmm. goes to like the club mm-hmm. and he meets with the guy and he ends up doing like the quick draw reverse yeah. quick draw on the guy from like under the magazine mm-hmm. which um i think like they like the crew was like surprised that tom hanks was just like able to do that mm-hmm. i remember reading uh, which was neat but i like the the like the bouncer guy who mm-hmm. was just talking to him he was just like a dumb bouncer guy but he was just, just like yeah i'm into boxing it's like i hold the title in south orange yeah <laughs> that's that's what i i thought of you too because of south orange i was like oh we both have kind of like pieces of our heritage in this movie <laughs> but it's like it's confusing because like um i think we we mentioned this already maybe when we were recording but it's like this feels like a movie that's like set in boston yeah but it's like it's set in new jersey <laughs> which is feels very weird well it's set in neither place <laughs> it's set apparently it's supposed to be in rock island illinois Really? Yes. Which oh, I, and then they drive to Chicago. What, Chicago, which it makes sense. I guess they're both in Illinois, but it's like, yeah, it's a. It's like, why would this guy even assume that Tom Hanks knows where South Orange is if, if they're not in New Jersey? Um, but yeah, it, it and like and like really like I'm not kidding. Like when I say like the reason I thought it was in Boston, like because if you told me like oh like gangster moving theories, I'd be like, of course it's in Chicago. But the reason I thought it was in Boston was because of Daniel Craig's accent. Like, I don't yeah. know what he's doing. with. Like, well, like, the name Rooney feels like something from Massachusetts. And, like, the fact that they're at church and, like, religion kind of plays a part in this movie feels like a much more, like, Massachusetts mobster thing. More Boston mob movie thing than, like, a New Jersey, New York mob thing. It does. Yeah, it's very, you know, it's like The Departed, you know? Um... I guess that's one fly I can say against the movies that I had no idea where where it was set because they didn't say until they were in Chicago. But I yeah. guess it makes more sense because, like, I guess, like, the whole, like, I guess that makes more sense logistically, like, the characters going to and from Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, yeah. They, the movie should have made it more clear, Sam Mendes. I guess they just thought the snow all over the place would make us think it was the Midwest somewhere. Excuse me. But it also snows a lot in New England, so who knows. Um... So yeah, what happens is basically, you know, this, this murder happens of, of uh, the other two members of the Sullivan family. And so the two, the two Michaels Sullivan, if you will, like attorneys general, um, they decide they have to kind of go on the run. And they first go to Chicago and try to, you know, uh, Michael Sr. tries to convince um, Frank Nitty, who was a real guy, mm-hmm. um, to, to let him kill i've seen i've seen boardwalk empire i know all this stuff i've seen that see that's once i don't have to do site i'm gonna watch boardwalk empire thank you for reminding me um but uh basically you know he wants to be allowed to uh uh him being michael senior to exact his revenge on um 
the uh, the Rooney family, the Rooney father and son played by Connor Connor Rooney. Connor Rooney played by Daniel Craig, and then the elder Rooney, John John played by uh, Paul Newman. Um, and you know because it's like a a mob thing, they never really get a straight yes or no. They never really get a straight answer. It's always like a well, you know, we'll see what we can do, or a no, and then you're like, well, I think you're also going to kill me, so then you have to kind of make an escape. Um, but this kind of leads us to the introduction of Jude Law's character, Harlan McGuire, who is introduced uh, as a crime scene. I actually thought this was like a, you know, it's a, like a pretty... It's like this scene to me was like, and I like this movie, but it's like, if I had one problem with it, it is the score. Because the way we're introduced to this character is... He um, shows up to a crime scene as like a press photographer, and there's a guy in the middle of the floor, like stabbed with a knife, as one is stabbed with. Um, and he's gonna take a picture of him, and then the guy starts like coughing, like clearly alive, and he goes to him and and suffocates him so he can take a picture of the dead body. But like the score there to me is just like a little too like mischievous. Like it's like there's like a lot of pizzicato going on. It was a little too like light for me for what was actually happening. But um. It know. felt very reminiscent of um, some parts of the American Beauty score. Mm. Like they employ that same sort of pizzicato thing you're talking about. And, um, I, you know, it stood out to me, but I wasn't like, this is bad. Well, yeah, I, it, it didn't ruin the experience, but I was just like, oh, this is an odd choice. Um. It was getting me to think, though, that maybe Jude Law might be crazy. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, what, what did we, this is maybe a good place then to talk about the casting. What, what do we think of of Jude Law in this role. Um, I liked him. He did a good job. I don't really have a strong impression of Jude Law, mm-hmm. really. When I, If you said Jude Law to me, I would just think of like the Sherlock Holmes movies because nothing else really has stuck in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I like him in this movie. I think he's appropriately creepy. And I think... Because I, usually in like movies like this, I would hate if like a you know they had a bad guy like this and he was overtly like you know like a monster Mm -hmm. you know if he had like a hunchback and green skin and stuff like that but i think this movie like rides the fine line of like oh this is like a normal mundane sort of guy and even at the end you know when he's disfigured i think that they handle that in a very you know realistic mundane way where it didn't take me out of the movie yeah i I, i um i enjoyed the casting because i feel like I, I tend to think of, like, Jude Law as kind of, like, a romantic or heroic lead. Like, I might, like, you know, you say he doesn't, like, he didn't, like, leave an impression for you. To me, like, the impression for me has always just been, like, he's, <coughs> excuse me, like, he's handsome. Like, that's kind of it. And I enjoyed how, like, in this role, it's, like, they make him play against type. It's, like, okay, instead of being this kind of, like, cool, handsome guy, you're going to be, like, a little freak who's balding, who um really just really loves looking at dead things and you're, you're kind of just like charmless and, and bloodless and i thought that was like a really interesting kind of the same way that they they say all right tom hanks instead of being super warm and and you know tom hanksy you're gonna be kind of like cold and distant i i enjoyed that kind of um uh flip of the script and, and i guess we'll use this time to ask as well like what did you think of paul newman you, you mentioned how this is always like a lot of spoken spoken about through the lens of paul newman what, what did you think of him in this movie oh it, you know i think he's great in this movie um 
you know, he has he has such dignity. And I think, you know, the movie does such a great job making John Rooney very likable. Mm-hmm. And I think he's actually pretty much likable throughout the whole movie, despite the fact that he's, like, a crime lord, yeah, essentially. But, um, yeah. And, you know, that is his last scene. You know, if, it's like, if this is... If this is Paul Newman's, like, sort of swan song, like, what a great swan song to end a career on, you know, that that shot in the rain. Oh, yeah. Say. Yeah, no, it's incredible. He, he has some really great moments in this movie. He's got that one. He's got the whole um, you would like to apologize scene at, like, the board meeting or whatever. Um, and he's got the whole, you know, only thing we know is we're not going to heaven scene. Yeah, he does a really great job. It's a great sort of, like, aging gracefully type role um for him and i I think he really nails it like this is not just you know you think of like not just to think about it through like the 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 uh the um it's not like he's playing an evil caricature chewing the scenery right yeah And, and like i was gonna say like not just to think of it purely through the lens of the oscars but it's like a lot of times you'll see older performers get nominated for roles because they're older and they want to recognize them before they die whereas like this i think is like a legitimately kind of like well earned nomination right mm-hmm. like he i think he really keys into something and he he really perfects being kind of like um i would say like gentle but odious i guess um really good stuff but anyway so th- this 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 setup um we, we we've been basically sort of like the the mode that i'd say most of the rest of the movie um goes through is that uh in order to get the attention of the chicago outfit um, the two Michael Sullivan's decide that they're going to basically drive across the state or the country. Again, they don't really explain where. Um, robbing them of their money at various banks from various crooked accountants. Um, all the while, Harlan McGuire is on their tail trying to, to catch up with them and eventually kill them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 and then the, the movie goes into like the montage. Mm-hmm. of uh well after you know tom has to teach the young michael sullivan how to drive a car yeah and yeah. that's funny and then the movie the movie feels very very lighthearted at this point when roughly an hour ago it felt super dark what with the <laughs> wife and the young brother getting killed uh albeit off screen but it's like the part where it's like a montage of them like robbing banks mm-hmm. and it's like they they have different ways of the young michael sullivan like just screwing up a little yeah. Like, it's like the getaway car just, like, runs past Tom mm-hmm. Hanks with all the money. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, the brake stopping, like, right on the sidewalk. Stuff like that. It's just, the movie feels very lighthearted at that point. It does, yeah. It definitely does. But but it's fun, right? I, you know, I enjoy it. It is fun. The movie is able to shift gears so nimbly. Yes. Not, you know, shift gears much better than Michael Sullivan can shift gears in that old-timey car. Um that is one thing watching this. I was like, I'm so glad that automatic transitions exist and I don't have to learn how to drive stick. Um, Cause I, I would be a goner if I had to do that. Um, That's what I thought about it more from like the film production standpoint of like, Oh, they have to get all these old cars. Yeah. Well, that's just sit it. on the street. Yeah. That, that is a good point. Um, so yeah, uh, we got that going on and then kind of like, I would say the next kind of like uh spike and action is when um, they finally catch up with the guy who's called the accountant, played by Dylan Baker. Um, oh yeah, Mr. Rance, and um, because that's also where Harlan McGuire meets up with them again. He had previously sort of tracked them down to a diner, 
Um, but this is another spot where he. Oh right, the diner scene. Yeah, that was good. Well, yeah, diner scene is it's a great action sequence, um, and and it's kind of like veiled confrontation, I guess, because they don't really know who each other. Well, uh, Michael seniors really know who Harlan is at this point. Um, like I love the line where he's like, "I shoot the dead," and he's like, as like a photographer, like I don't shoot to kill them, even though he does also do that. Um, but yeah, good. St- and then yeah, so you get this kind of confrontation at the hotel, um, which ends with uh, Michael Senior being injured. So they rush him off to, well, they don't rush him off anywhere. Uh, Michael Junior just kind of takes off driving, and eventually they come across a like farmhouse somewhere in the prairies of Illinois. U- Utopian farmhouse. Yes. Um, what did you think of this sequence? Sort of like convalescent sequence, which doesn't actually last very long. Um, I didn't really think too much about it. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a bit cliche, I guess. Yeah. But, um, you know, it feels like, oh, this is a scene that happens in a movie. Mm-hmm. So they did it. And, yeah, I mean, I really don't have a strong opinion to say about it. Yeah, it's like a little yada yada, I'd say. Um, but, it, but it does kind of give you this, this like, scene where Michael Sullivan and Michael Sullivan Jr. are able to talk, like, you know about how michael sullivan jr was raised yeah that that is true the movie that scene does show do a great job illustrating how much like the relationship has grown over the course of the film Mm -hmm. but yeah basically and then that this kind of leads up to um you know uh michael sullivan deciding to once again go off after the roonies which as you mentioned and has that not ends with but has features that great sort of you know seen in the rain i would say probably like um you know we, we mentioned how this movie's a little forgotten to the extent that there is kind of like an iconic image from this movie i would say that tom hanks standing in the rain holding the machine gun is kind of what you remember yeah um and uh again the cinematography by the uh the late conrad hall who passed away after doing this shortly thereafter mm-hmm. um is really great. There's an intro by Sam Mendez on the uh, the Blu-ray I watched where he talks about Conrad Hall. And it's just like on the Blu-ray, you can really just see like every drop of rain. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's true. Like you watch some movies sometimes and it's like you can't even tell it's raining. Because you just have to like listen for it mm-hmm. or just see the rain on the ground. But it's like you, you really see the rain just pouring down on everybody. <laughs> like I kind of want to know how they did that. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, yeah... Yes, I was also wondering how they did it. And I was also just like, man, like, back in those days, it wasn't just, like, a raincoat. You also had, like, a hat. Like, what did they do with their hats when they got that wet? Um, <laughs> because it's not like they were waterproof hats. They were made out of, like, felt and cloth and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They look like they're about to deteriorate. Yeah. Um, anyway, we get that scene. We also get the scene where he ends up killing Connor as well. The mob just kind of, like, lets him in to do that. Um, I, I, lo- I loved how just perfunctory that was. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, it's so perfunctory that, again, you don't even get, like, a direct shot of it, right? You see every... You see um, his dead body. It's the reflection of a mirror on a bathroom door in a hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they probably had it... Daniel Craig already set up with the blood on the wall, and then they just yeah. moved the door. Yeah, really Did good. you, uh, by any chance, pick up on the um, the themes... The theme, the motif of uh, water connected to death, similarly to in The Godfather, like oranges 
connected to death. This movie has the motif of water. I actually, I, I see that as directly called on the Wikipedia page. I actually did not pick up on that um, in initial viewing. Um, but that that is interesting. This is like a perfect, like an example of like, if you're interested in a movie, this is like a gateway film for like, you can watch it and enjoy mm-hmm. it, but there's also like stuff you can pick up on. Yeah. Where it's like, even though this isn't like, you know, the greatest film ever made, this is like a really great film. If you're like around that age of like 13, it's like you want to get into movies. This is a really great film to watch. Oh yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, I would agree wholeheartedly. Um yeah, like a great way to just teach people about like cinematography and like you said, symbolism and and things like that. Um, it's like the Great Gatsby. <laughs> yeah. Um, except it'd be much harder. It's like you know that story about how um, Hunter S. Thompson would just type out the Great Gatsby so he would know what it was like to type out a classic. <laughs> um, it'd be a bit harder to do a similar thing with Road to Perdition. <laughs> um, well, I guess you could do it with the screenplay. I don't know. Um, but, but, but sticking with that theme of water and death. So the reason this movie is called road to perdition is because the initial plan is to get Michael Sullivan Jr. to perdition, which is apparently a town on the, the shore of Lake Michigan, um, which is an awful name for a town because perdition means like hell. Um, but, uh, basically they get there and it's this really like serene environment, you know, the, uh, the, the waves are lapping on the shore of, of Lake Michigan. There's a dog there to greet them. Um, mm-hmm. But then Michael Sr. gets in there. He is having this wonderful moment watching his son finally happy again. And then thunk, thunk, thunk. Uh, Harlan McGuire uh, blasts him. Yeah. I love the framing in that scene. Because you get the shot from behind of like um, Tom Hanks watching his son with mm-hmm. the dog and then it cuts to like the reverse shot like on his head mm-hmm. and you just see like the empty room yeah but then it's like you hear the shots and then he slumps over and then you see jude law mm-hmm. right behind where tom hanks was with the gun oh it's so great yeah no it's it's great it's 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 and it's the way that just kind of like the images of um like just the way like the i guess they were doing stuff like reflection or they were just actually had two different shots that they were kind of you know somehow laying on top of each other of you're able to watch you know the, the son and the father at the same time just just really good stuff um and then uh were you um surprised by this um turn of events in the film mike not entirely like i i feel like once because i i was like were you wondering where's jude law I, I was a little bit like they kind of set it up because like the, the last time you see him before that it's like you know he's kind of like you just see his hands that are covered in blood because he um like a bunch of broken glass just got you know thrown in his face and I was like he's probably gonna come back at some point right and when they got to perdition and the house was empty I was like well I really hope this ends well like I really hope that they just end up being <laughs> happy here it's like well, this is probably not gonna happen I mean like. The, the the gunshots are so sudden and like the sound is so just like the timbre of it is so different from what you're expecting from a gunshot because it goes against this apparently bulletproof class um that that kind of surprised me and then i didn't actually know what was going to happen afterwards right because michael jr confronts uh harlan with a gun of his own 
and then you have you know michael senior like not wanting him to kill him and, and there's this kind of this standoff then a shot does ring out and it turns out it was michael senior all along that that stuff that that some of that threw me for a loop i guess yeah, it's a not entirely surprising ending, but um, yeah. it works well. And then we, I, I just like the idea of, um, you know, he really just doesn't want his son to kill people, because like if he if it, if Michael Junior did kill him, then it's like he'd be tainted and he can't, you know, lead a good life. He really wants his son to have a better life than he did. Yeah, I think was important. Yeah, no, I agree, and it's funny because apparently that that is a big difference from the comic book was that. In the original graphic novel, um, Michael Jr. does kill, like, once, and then, I think, becomes a priest. Um, mm. I mean, I would argue that I, I would think this is justified. <laughs> we would be a justified killing in oh, yeah. self-defense. It, yes, it would absolutely be self-defense, no question. Um, but, uh, but, yeah. And then he ends up uh, driving back to the old couple who helped them in the prairie, and, uh, the the rich farm couple now. Yes, yes, rebuilding their house because they did leave them some cash as a thank you. And then uh, that's it. They they ask him if he was a good man or a bad man, and he just says he was his father. Mm-hmm. Um, good Father's Day watch, I guess, in, in that sense. Um, yeah, very well done movie. The theme of fathers and sons is very well baked into a lot of the movie. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, any, anything else we, we wanted to say about this movie? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple things. I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about Stanley Tucci because mm-hmm. he said, I looked this up in the trivia, that um, Stanley Tucci was, like, careful to avoid playing, like, mob roles because, mm-hmm. like, as someone who's Italian, he didn't want to, you know, perpetuate stereotypes and whatnot. But apparently, like, his respect for Sam Mendes who at this point had only really directed one movie, American yeah. Beauty, mm-hmm. was so high that he agreed to do this movie where he plays, you know, Capone's right-hand guy, Nitty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, since you are Italian, if you had any thoughts or feelings about that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I Well, it's funny because, like, I like obviously Stanley Tucci's Italian. He has a whole show on CNN about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all CNN should do, probably, from yeah. now on. Yeah. Um, it, but it's funny because he 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 is so uh like contra like the the sort of stereotypical like italian actor who plays mob guys right like he just is not you don't think stanley tucci and mob in the, in the same sentence um i there are some people i mean there's been like literal legislation proposed like especially when the sopranos was popular and i believe specifically the new jersey state legislature about kind of like a sta- italian stereotyping in tv and movies um it's funny, I have never really um, cared, I guess, <laughs> about, like, specifically with the mob stuff. I think because a lot of it is, is, it's a lot of times it is done in jest. And I think a lot of it, too, it's like, you think of, like, the great mob movies, and it's like, they're directed by Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese, people who are also Italian, right? Um, and I feel like, any of the mob movies that really get attention are usually made by Italians or are just like done in a way that I feel like is respectful or just kind of like holistic to the point where I never really felt like it's too much of a caricature. Um, but I completely understand, like, especially like you, you don't want to be, you don't want to become like Chaz Palminteri 
or honestly to a certain extent Joe Pesci where like you are kind of pigeonholed into just doing that um so I would understand why Stanley Tucci would feel that way I was always more offended by like Jersey Shore like the show Jersey Shore <laughs> honestly um like I was actually like angry when that show came out um yeah, I was more upset when Floribama Shore came out. It was a <laughs> tremendous uh, decline in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a quote from Tom Hanks' son, Chet, saying that this is his favorite performance uh, of his dad, uh, Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition. His quote says, In every one of my dad's films, I can see him. He's being himself, but that role is the farthest from his normal self out of any of the movies he's done. I would agree with uh, Chet Hanks on that. He's a, this is a very uh, different role for tom hanks that is also the most articulate i have ever heard chet hanks be are, are you familiar with the whole chet hanks song yes yeah um if you're not google it i guess <laughs> sometimes you will, the, you will be surprised <laughs> sometimes the chocolate falls far from the chocolate box yes uh, <laughs> uh yeah no i mean the only film really I, I see sort of compared to this in terms of Tom Hanks is like the Lady Killers. He also plays mm-hmm. a villain type in the Coen Brothers Lady Killers, but that movie is like such an overtly comedic film compared to this. It's Tom Hanks is playing ostensibly a villain, but it's more of a, a comedic role than this. Yeah, I've 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 never seen that movie. I um I I mean like I feel like there's like an element obviously like completely different kind of like side of the moral coin but like i see a little saving private ryan in this in the sense that it's like you know the whole point of of saving private ryan is that like he you know he plays a character who's supposed to be kind of like distant and holds his men kind of at arm's length before eventually opening up um but obviously in that movie you know he he's he's an overtly sort of heroic figure if a gruff one yeah i mean tom Hanks has played like that sort of gruff figure mm-hmm. gruff, sort of like gruff in a comedic way like a uh, league of their own yeah like yeah. even woody when you think about it like woody's yeah. kind of a villainous character in the first movie mm-hmm. which is what's great about that film um <laughs> but uh but this is like he's just so so cold and detached mm-hmm. whereas like if you saw if this was like your first tom hanks film you'd be like surprised right you know considering the scope of his career you'd be surprised to watch a beautiful day in a neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point i just i just watched that and is like completely different um uh he does kind of channel that coldness again in sully Mm. one of the uh other great 21st century films um uh what else was there did you want to uh, uh, play again the game of um, since this film is so like out there in terms of comic book movies, trying to connect the cast and recommend their other more comic book movies for people who aren't interested in well thought out, wonderful pieces of cinema? <laughs> sure, we can do that. Um... So the big one, this might shock you, Mike. Mm-hmm. So Michael Sullivan Jr. Mm-hmm. is played by. Uh, Taylor Hecklin, mm-hmm. who plays Superman on the CW show Superman and Lois. See, I did not know that. Um, <laughs> so there you go. If it, you want to watch a film with Superman in it, watch Road to Perdition. I, I know. <laughs> I know you've you've watched that show. Is he a good Superman? 
Yeah, I mean, I've only watched a small handful of episodes, but uh, I liked him. I think he's good in this movie. Yeah, no, yeah. I think, you know, as people like to complain about child actors, I, and it's funny because I feel like they actually don't give him a lot of dialogue when you think about it. Um, but no, I, I think he is good, especially in that one scene of um, where they first get to Chicago and Tom Hanks just kind of like leaves him in, I guess that's like a train station or something. Um, full of like all the old men reading newspapers. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of sits there crying as he's like holding his like uh, pulp, pulp novel. Like I, I thought that was a really, really, really good scene for him. Um, so your, your pal Finn McGovern <laughs> played by Sharon Hines. Mm-hmm. He plays Steppenwolf in both Justice League and Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League. Um, you know, commonly cited as one of the worst supervillain vi- supervillains in comic book movies. You be the judge. <laughs> I you still... don't feel like watching this? Watch Justice League. <laughs> I still have not seen either of those movies. And I think it's very funny that they're considered two separate movies. <laughs> Because no one's like, oh, um, like there's not, there aren't separate letterbox entries for Blade Runner and Blade Runner: The Final Cut, right? Correct. Um, Even the- for uh, Francis Ford Coppola, just did the new. Recently, he did a new cut of Godfather Part Three. Yeah. Coda: The Death of Michael Corleone, but that there's no separate page for that on Letterboxd. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. What else is there? Daniel Craig, James Bond, obviously. Mm-hmm. Not quite a comic book movie, but, you know, certainly a big IP. Yes, yeah. I think we can all agree. Mm. Very, I, I know we talked about his accent, but I think just in general, weird to see him play American. Um, or at least maybe that kind of American. Uh, I guess he does it in Knives Out, but I don't know. Um... I, have you seen Logan Lucky? I have, yes, actually. I, I do like him in that movie. That's an American accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Paul Newman, of course. He was uh, in Twilight. Not the vampire love story say. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Late 90s crime film. Okay. Just wanted to throw that in there as a joke. <laughs> Jude Laws and Captain Marvel. Oh yeah, good point. Good I point. Completely forgot about that until now. Um, he plays uh, everyone's favorite character, everyone's favorite Marvel character, Yon Rog. Yes, he's he's a no, no, he's a Cree. Um, yeah, he is. Jennifer Jason Lee was on Superman the Animated Series, and episodes of Todd McFarlane's Spawn. Mm. And Stanley Tucci never really made it to a comic movie, did he? Ooh, that's a good question. Would he be good like as Lex Luthor? Ooh, I could see it. Um Oh, he's in a uh, Captain America the First Avenger. Oh, yes, he plays Dr. Erskine, right? Yeah. You buffoon. How could you forget? That was penicillin. Remember that line a million times from the trailer? It's like this is the new um, 
six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. It's like everyone was in a Marvel movie, even if you can't remember it. It's like, oops. Mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones. What? Dylan Baker, Kurt Connors. Oh, true. And yeah, that's a good one. Spider, Spider-Man 2 and 3. Ne- never got to go full lizard, though, which is a shame. <laughs> I think that does it, at least as far as my knowledge goes. <laughs> Tom Tom Hanks himself has not bridged the gulf into doing a straightforward comic book movie. Yeah, do you think he ever would? Because it's like I was thinking about this. Because I remember reading this in like a Rolling Stone profile of Leonardo DiCaprio, like like t- probably close to twelve years ago at this point, where he was explicitly like, "I do not want to be in superhero movies." And, like, it's, you know, he's pretty much avoided not just superhero movies, but, like, big IP in general since. Do you think, like, Tom Hanks would ever be... It doesn't have to be, like, a Marvel movie, but, like, in a superhero movie, like, in general? Um, I think at a certain point earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think now. Yeah. I mean, he's done, like, big IP stuff. Because mm-hmm. did, he did Dragnet mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. I mean, um... Polar Express, The Da Vinci Code. It depends on how you define like IP. Yeah. Uh, extremely loud and incredibly close uh, masterpiece. <laughs> I mean, one could argue that Elvis and Saving Mr. Banks are IP movies. And Elvis is like the original superhero. He's like Captain Marvel Jr. He is. We are both lost, lonely children <laughs> seeking eternity. And... Um. No, I mean, he doesn't need to do it. He's just, exactly. he's got so much stuff in the works with his producing, he just doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know who you would cast him as at this point, because he's so old. <laughs> Maybe, like, I, I know there's already a Doom Patrol TV show, but, like, I could see him as the chief in Doom Patrol. But you already have Timothy Dalton as the chief. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, I know, I know. It's, it's, not, it's not a good, good choice. Perry White. Yeah, yeah. Lois, get me that story. <laughs> and we basically did that in the post, right? Exactly. But that would uh, ruin my plans of wanting them to get J.K. Simmons to play Perry White. <laughs> <laughs> Do the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is it. If anyone knows of any other IP roundup connections we can make to Road to Perdition, please email us mm-hmm. at contact at thepostwriter.com. I mean, Toy Story, and I forgot he was in the Robert Langdon movies. That's all I'd be. Um, but yes, please do email us at contactthepostwriter.com if you have thoughts on that, or just this show and this movie in particular. Uh, you can find the Pony Express podcast feed wherever you find podcasts. Please like, rate, and subscribe when you do find it, and please do reach out to us and let us know what you think. We are dying, dying to hear from you. Yeah, now that we've watched a good movie, email us and let us know which (laughs) terrible, horrible, no good, very bad movie we should watch next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you don't want to email us, or you don't want to email me at least directly through those channels, you can also find me on Twitter at Mlevito or Letterboxd at Ameramike. Yeah, I'm on Twitter too, so you can bother me there. Um, I'd recommend bothering Mike first, but um, I'm at Twitter at, at the Lewis Ryan. Um, if you want to give a shout or recommend a movie. And when we get on Blue Sky, we will let you know we're on Blue Sky.
Um, but until then, this has been the Pony Express, and this has also been Fortress of Neptitude, and uh, we'll see you next time for the next movie. So, bye-bye.